Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Sean Bice. Sean is the president of products and technology at Splunk, the nearly $2.5 billion revenue software company that helps companies turn data into doing. In his role, Sean has overall responsibility for product, engineering, design, architecture, CTO, CIO, and CISO functions. Sean's also a board member at Wafed Bank in Seattle, and prior to his time at Splunk, he was the vice president of databases at Amazon Web Services. Sean, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. But first, a word from our partner, Transmit Security, and the company's co-founder and president, Rakesh Lunkar. Transmit Security is a cybersecurity organization that focuses on identity experience and is enabling a secure and passwordless future. They also recently received the highest Series A venture capital investment in history for a cybersecurity company at a valuation of $2.2 billion. Rakesh wanted to share a couple of recommendations for technology and digital executives on how to improve a company's cybersecurity infrastructure. Thank you so much, Peter. First, I strongly recommend to take part of their budget and dedicate it to really innovative companies. It has to be built into the budgets up front so that it serves as a forcing function to really look for new technologies. The, the second recommendation is outside of identity. There are two very interesting classes of security technologies that are emerging. The first one is improving the quality of code to make sure that your developers are not introducing software vulnerabilities. The second is cloud security. I think we're in the first inning of hundreds of companies that will be created offering really innovative ways of securing the multitude of problems in the cloud environments. I just want to leave your audience with this the last thing every single time they have to enter their password change their password can't remember their password or any other problems please remember transmit security and now a quick word from our sponsor cisco and the company's chief information officer jackie gushalar as we enter a time of hybrid work environments jackie wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of this emerging trend and make informed decisions on the future of work jackie over to you hi this is Jackie Guchala, SVP and CIO of Cisco. Today, we're at a unique time in history with the ability to redefine work. Work is no longer where you go, it's what you do and how you do it. And it is powered by the convergence of people, technology and places. It's permanently reshaping expectations of both employees and employers alike. To navigate this changing landscape, Cisco's Hybrid Work Index can help you make informed decisions by providing global insights on people's preferences, habits, and technology use in the era of hybrid work. It's based on millions of global data points and insights to help you win the war for talent, accelerate your innovation, and enhance business safety and security. Search Cisco Hybrid Work Index to learn more. Thanks, Jackie. And now on to our broadcast. Well, I, I thought we might begin in a logical place, uh, which is your company, Splunk. I mentioned uh, a little bit about the organization, though. Why don't you take a quick moment, if you wouldn't mind, to provide a bit more context. Uh, describe Splunk's business for our listeners, please. Yeah, sure. You know, so a lot of companies in the world, uh, you know, they're trying to reinvent themselves. They're trying to do as much as they can with data so that they can deliver the best experiences uh, to their customers. They want to operate these businesses as efficiently as they can. 
Uh, and then, of course, they want to keep those businesses secure. So um, those are Splunk's customers. So when you think of Splunk, we like to talk about turning data into doing, uh, which is a fantastic place to be. But at the end of the day, if you're looking to really streamline all your technical operations, really understand how your applications are performing, uh, pinpoint those problems before they become problems, resolve them, keep the environment secure, uh, that's Splunk. A great overview. Thank you, Sean. And I mentioned you're the president of products and technology. Again, I gave a bit of an overview of what's within your purview, but maybe you could take another uh, moment and provide a, a, an additional thumbnail sketch as to as to that uh, that purview, if you would. Yeah, yeah. You know, our team is doing quite a bit for the company. So a big portion of my team are the are the folks that are actually building all the products that our customers are procuring. So. You know, that includes product uh, management as well as engineering, um, a really, really great, innovative, fast-moving group. So when you think of Splunk on-prem, Splunk in the cloud, all those features that are getting built, that's them. Uh, and then, of course, the CISO function as well as our IT group and a few others uh, all make up products and technologies at Splunk. We have it, both internal capabilities as well as naturally with the product, uh, the most some of the most important aspects of the customer facing uh, areas of the organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. And what is really, really interesting about it is having our security team using our own products. And, you know, so it's great when you have a customer right there in your backyard, so to speak, that uh, can pressure test new things, give you real feedback, put it into play early. So it really works out well for us and our customers. You, you alluded to the cloud uh, and certainly a, a broad topic that is on the minds and and in the game plans of most technologists today. However, the uh, the ways in which they are leveraging it might be different company by company. And I know that you're a believer in a sort of multi-cloud hybrid uh, approach to the future. Talk a bit about the rationale behind that and why you think that's a powerful recipe to success. Yeah, well, you know, um, I know there there's a lot of discussion in the world about going all in on a, on a cloud, but I think the reality of that, I, I kind of think history does inform what we do today and tomorrow. And, you know, historically, I don't know that too many enterprises were all in on any one thing. You know, let it be an Oracle database or a SQL or Windows or Linux. You know, I think most IT organizations are going to try to stay modern. They're going to they're going to look at as many technologies as they need to to keep those businesses growing. And I don't know that that's just going to be one thing. So with that, I think that 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 same frame applies to the cloud. And most enterprises that I talk to, what I hear is, you know, if they have $100 to spend, they may spend 70 of those dollars with one cloud provider, but they're going to spend the rest with others. That could be cherry picking best of breed services. It could be having leverage at negotiation time. But I see that often. And then there's still a lot of enterprises that have on-premise footprints. And while those on-premise footprints are getting smaller, you know, sometimes there's applications like a mainframe app that they can't move and they need that mainframe to still work with something uh, under a certain latency profile. So at the end of the day, I think what that means is it's going to be a pretty common practice for a lot of enterprises to have applications in multiple clouds, including their on-premise environment that just gets smaller. 
I want to th- thank you for that overview. Very interesting. And obviously an area you've played having uh, previously been at uh, Amazon Web Services, you've thought about cloud in a variety of different uh, uh, rationales and formats given the places that you have been uh, at Microsoft also before that as well. So you've worked for a couple of, the, uh, of other key cloud players before joining this organization. I also wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, the importance of, uh, of consistent security and observability. Um, you know, th- these are really important uh, aspects of what a chief information officer or a tech and digital leader must bear in mind today uh, when, uh, when thinking about a shared data platform. Uh, t- talk a bit about your rationale there as well. Yeah, no, well, so that question right there, man, there, you could unpack a lot. I actually think you're asking an awesome, because if you get this wrong, you could be in, you could be in a, a spot you don't want to be in. But I'll start with security first. I, I can't imagine any business or tech leader ever coming up to me saying, hey, you know, uh, we've got uh, some applications in Amazon and a little couple in uh, Google. We have some in Azure. And we uh, have some on-premise and you know what we want? We want a different security tool for each thing. I can't imagine anybody saying that that's what they want. Instead, a lot of these tech leaders uh, fundamentally say, look, you know, yeah, of course I have data in places that it needs to be and I want a consistent security experience across uh, the whole. Um, and that's where, that's where Splunk customers are really thriving. You know, we don't think about uh, like, hey, we, we're going to build a security solution and it only will work in this one. We recognize that customers are going to obviously have data in multiple cloud environments as well as on-prem. And we want to give them a security solution that works across the board. So it just makes it you know, easier, like your administrators or security professionals now have a tool set that they're familiar with and works. With that, then I would transition over to observability. And this one is a little more nuanced in the sense that, uh, frankly, the way applications, these new applications are built, they look different than the way apps were built 10, 15 years ago. And the way I would put it is, you know, uh, you know, Peter, if you and I were building an app 15, 20 years ago, we'd probably have a database, an app server, some uh, clients that connect to it, and we would probably scale up the back end and off you'd go. But the way people build applications today just looks different. Why? Well, because the cloud is here. So, you know, if you were building a rideshare app and you and I were like, hey, are we going to have one user or a hundred million users? I don't know. You wouldn't know. But the system needs to scale instantly. And that's what the cloud uh, enables. So for this is why you hear people using microservices. Uh, these, you know, they take a big app, break it into smaller parts, pick the right tool for the right job. Now, imagine something like Netflix having all these little microservices behind it. There's no human being that's going to be able to reason all of these events and microservices. It's just not possible. That's why tools in the observability space now matter a lot. Why? Because these tools do understand all of those components and what relates to what, and then the tools are observing that environment. So if there's a, a hiccup in a system, it can tell you, hey, here's the problem, why it's happening, how to resolve it, or even better, hey, I'm detecting that a problem is going to occur here. Here's how we can get ahead and, and prevent it. So, you know, so when you're thinking security and observability, that really is Splunk's bread and butter. And, you know, what I was just walked you through is why those two things matter more today than ever before. 
Uh, you make a compelling case to be sure. Let, let's stick with security for a second. There are those who say that security is in some ways the antithesis to innovation. If innovation is about risk-taking, security is about risk mitigation. But, but I know that you uh, believe that security is a necessary ingredient, a, a foundation for innovation itself. So, so perhaps turning that logic a bit on its head. Um, talk a little bit about your, your observations and, and thoughts around that, please. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I often think back to software projects in the past. And, you know, I think anybody who's built uh, a large application would tell you security is not something that you can just bolt on. Like, it just doesn't work well that way. It's something that you have to think about very early and it becomes part of your architecture. You know, so when you think about security like that, I definitely get what you just said. Like sometimes it can sort of come across like, hey, here's all the reasons why we can't do something. But I will tell you this, um, the, the best security uh, solutions that I've seen, it, the mental model is not one layer of security. It's about having multiple layers. And, you know, I think most people have this attitude, like, look, at some point, somebody is going to break into something, but when they do, we want to minimize that blast rate. We want to detect it. We want to prevent it, but it's all about minimizing the blast radius. So that's why you see a lot of companies putting in multiple layers of security, you know, so that you can minimize that exposure. But the folks that actually do have multiple layers in, and then they, more importantly, they have the right tooling to detect something and be able to prevent it, where that becomes very easy, those companies basically all of a sudden are moving hyper fast. Like when you think of a lot of these, like COVID basically turned the world on its head. And if, I've seen enterprises move faster than ever before. And it's not like people are building things less secure. They're actually building these whole new experiences that are more secure. They have more features than ever before, but it's because they've really thought about security upfront. It's part of the core architecture. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, w. Edwards Deming said, "In God we trust; all others bring data. Uh, data becomes a really, and, and that was something said many decades ago as a, as, a, as an executive and, and, and uh, a thinker who who passed away long ago. Uh, if anything, the sanctity and importance and power, frankly, of not only harnessing data but but doing so in a way as as quickly as possible to gain insight becomes all the more of a differentiator between leader and laggard." And I wonder, as, as a, uh, a leader uh, within an organization that spends so much time and thinking about this, talk a bit about the ways in which uh, data empowers technology teams to reach the, the right conclusions, to draw, draw in the rest of the organization to, uh, uh, to do special things. Talk a bit about some of your perspectives there. Yeah, you know, I well, the first thing that I would say, I'll give you three customer fun customer examples of what they do with data. But before that, what I would say is, there are a number of customers today that are, are thriving and there are some that are not. And the ones that are not, they actually don't have a strong data foundation. You know, And sometimes people ask me like, hey, what does that mean when you don't have a strong data foundation? It's usually when ever you're trying to do something with data, you're told, no, can't do it. Hey, we'd like to do a recommendation. No, our system doesn't do it. Or you know, we would like uh, to join this data with this data to help us ask this or answer this question. Sorry, can't do it. 
the, the folks that are thriving, they're the ones that are just building super fast and they hear yes a lot. So they, they, they're using the right tool for the right job. But, you know, frankly, uh, if you have that strong found data foundation, you hear the words yes a lot. Now, what are people doing with data? You know, I, University of Illinois is a fun one. You know, all these, like I have two boys in college. I think about COVID and their safety. And, you know, the University of Illinois is doing um, a really, really interesting thing where they literally are doing contact tracing across campus to keep it safe for all those students. So, you know, imagine they're, they're tracking everybody who's coming in and out of buildings, what classrooms they're in and so on and so forth so that, if something is detected, they know exactly how to how to constrain that. And it's all based on data. It's happening right now. Like if you think about it in the past, a lot of people would think of data as a record of what happened in the past. Like, uh, like how many people went into that classroom last year? You know, that's what I mean by a record of the past versus data turning uh, uh, something into doing is hey, somebody just came up positive on COVID, show me all the students that were around that person in the past 24 hours, boom. You know, that's turning data into doing. Another interesting one is think of the scale of Walmart. You know, you're talking over 200 million shoppers coming in and out of those systems and Walmart is using Splunk to maintain that uh, observability and make sure that that environment is running and make sure that it's secure. So it, it's awesome. And then you think of something like Formula One, which is, you know, if you love cars, Formula One is a great example of an enterprise that's been around for a long time, but those cars, like they literally can win or lose on the blink of an eye. And they rely, those cars are emitting data all the way around the track. They're collecting terabytes of data. And then what they do is send that all the way back to these teams like uh, McLaren, for example, has close to 800 engineers that are actually looking at that data during a race, making adjustments literally on the fly. They're trying to literally gain milliseconds to win races and that's all teams. So the McLaren guys are, have literally changed their entire trajectory just on how they're using data. So that's those are three simple examples of what I see people doing, and there are many more stories in there. That's that's really interesting. I, you know, you mentioned earlier that in many ways uh, you are your own best customer, your first customer, if you will. The the extent to which your own team is using Splunk's uh, solutions. It strikes me you've got a really interesting. Uh, sort of 360 degree lens to how you do things. You, as I mentioned earlier, and as you uh, uh, went on to articulate in greater detail, you have an IT organization, for instance, that reports through to you. Likewise, many of your customers are IT departments of major organizations. And, and I wonder, you know, uh, having in running an IT organization as well as in working with uh, uh, key partners, uh, uh, customers who are themselves also IT leaders. You know, what you're seeing is sort of like emerging uh, best practices from across this uh, across this realm. Forgive a rather general question is I know that your 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 uh, customers run the gamut across a wide array of, of uh, um, industries. But uh, it, it is certainly a discipline that's on the ascent and becoming, if anything, especially due to COVID, all the more strategic and the pace of digital transformation, to use a very broad term, is accelerating tremendously as well. Talk a bit as somebody who's been in the IT space as a leader for quite some time, talk about the evolution of the, the IT leader, the CIO and his or her teams uh, as you see it now. Yeah, well, you you just said it a few times, acceleration, speed, acceleration. Frankly, if I, 
I could tell you some long story right now, but if I were to sum it up, it's about speed and moving faster than ever before. Like, you know, I, I've been in the industry now for almost 30 years. And, you know, frankly, I, I grew up in an era where projects would take a year or two. They would, they, anything, anything you were trying to do, it was always a year or two. But what used to take a year or two, I see companies pull this off in a month or two. Like it, it's, it's crazy. And I think COVID, you know, if there's any lemonade in COVID, this would be one example of it where people have had to learn how to move so fast to build new experiences so fast or you're out of business. So the good news is I think business leaders know today, there's no question that technology is mandatory, like no question at all. Um, and then if, okay, with that as a backdrop, then how are some people doing better than others? And, and, and I think you, you, you slipped those words in there too. They're innovating, they're embracing new technology. I always like to say this, you know, don't let familiarity become a blind spot that stifles innovation. And what I mean by that is, you know, it'd be like you and I being in a shop saying, hey, this is how we've always done things. Like it's always worked like this for the past 10, 15, 20 years. And while that is a good thing from an experience standpoint, what it could do is become a blind spot if you're just refusing to look at different ways of doing things. And, you know, the, the, the shops that I've seen literally transform themselves are the ones that they, they look like a software company in some sense. Like they are embracing new technology. They're finding change agents. They're building apps at record speeds. And they're just hustling and moving fast, embracing technology. That's what I really see today. Those are the shops that are, are making a huge, huge impact in their businesses. Another thing that's very clear throughout your responses is just the, the Splunk operates obviously in a broader ecosystem of technology. And today, if you look at the CIO's role or the dig digital and technology leader's role, whatever title he or she might have, it is an ecosystem that they must marshal in order to do all that they do. I wonder how you think about that. How do you think about the way in which Splunk plays within the broader ecosystem uh, of technology, especially someone, someone, as I mentioned earlier, who's who's worked for some uh, several now uh, leading organizations within the tech space? How do you think about that ecosystem perspective? Yeah. Oh, man, that's another really important thing to get right. So, you know, what a lot of cloud providers are trying to do is offer their unique differentiation so that they may build a service like Microsoft might build a service that is unique to Microsoft in, in the Azure cloud. Like Office 365 would be a good example of that. You know, they got a lot of productivity uh, workers on it. There's a lot of things they can actually do with their own tech that's unique to Microsoft and Azure. Same is true with Google. Um, or, you know, if you look at BigQuery, uh, a lot of their ML services, they're trying to build a more sovereign cloud. That, that, that's sort of their uniqueness, if you will, in Google. And then, of course, I worked at Amazon. So Amazon is building a lot of unique things, let it be something like DynamoDB or Aurora that you can only find those data management systems, you know, or Redshift as an analytics system in AWS. So if you think of all of these, these uh, cloud providers doing something unique, when it comes to observability and security, it's important that those tools cross-cut. 
So the way we think about it is it's not about building something unique for a, a one cloud. It's about recognizing our customers will have data in, in all of these clouds. So when we build, we need to build in, with the mindset that it's about providing security across multiple clouds, in, including on-premise or for observability. It's about operating across multiple clouds. So that's how we think of the problem. And I just netted out to when you have things that cross cut, when that CIO or that, that uh, business leader says, listen, I need a consistent way to observe or a consistent way to make sure my environment's secure. That's where Splunk customers are, are really successful in how we think about those tools. Good. I wanted to ask you a quick question about trends. We've talked already about a number of uh, important trends, be it uh, a variety of things related to data and analytics, the evolution of the cloud, security and observability, which you reemphasized a moment ago. What other trends as you look to the future, Sean, particularly excite you? Yeah, you know, there are a ton, but I have to tell you, the edge is something that is really, I think the edge is going to be transformational. Like, you know, why would I think that? And here's some of the trends that I notice. So, you know, I pay attention to like, like I'm sure we both have, you know, the latest and greatest uh, mobile phone in our pocket. A lot of these things, uh, Verizon, AT&T, they're all connecting 5G. A lot of 5G is supposed to turn on here in the month of January, with the exception of certain states that are still anxious around airports. But 5G is going to basically make your phone feel like your desktop when it was connected to, you know, a gig E Ethernet connection, like you never even thought of bandwidth. And imagine the type of applications you'll be able to build when your, your mobile device can, can process and move that much data. It's crazy. Then when you look at look at what the big cloud providers are doing, like Google, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, they're all investing in edge, you know. And, and then you look at the the telcos like AT and T, Verizon, and others. They're now also investing in edge and making sort of the edge of their networks now available to customers. So when I see trends like that, five G major cloud providers investing in edge, telco, the telcos themselves offering edge, that tells me something big is about to happen there. And, and really, I, I believe edge is really gonna become part of the de facto architecture for many enterprises. It, it's not gonna be a niche thing. It will just be part of your architecture. Um, there are more customers I meet today. I don't know, take a utility company they're going to want to do computation right at the meter, not send all data up to cloud, process it, make decision. Or if you you and I built an autonomous car, like every time I turn around, there's a new EV coming out. It's trying to drive itself. Those cars need to make decisions on the road. That's a great example of data being uh, created right at the edge. And they, there's some type of computation you'll need to do there. So uh, with that, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think the edge is growing faster than a lot of people realize, but I really think that is gonna become a key part of enterprise architectures, and it's gonna unlock applications unlike we've ever seen before. Sean Bice, thank you so much for joining us today. What a fascinating conversation covering a wide array of aspects that uh, not only are, are, are representative of your own thought process, but obviously what also what you're bringing to life as a leader at Splunk. It's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me, Peter. I really enjoyed it.